This program is intended for mature audiences only. Altitude adjustment may contain language, images, or other content that some may find offensive. Your discretion is advised. Welcome to Altitude, Altitude. Adjustment. Good afternoon. It is 2 p.m. Central Time, Friday, November the 5th. Uh, you may have seen some of the graphics that I put out and I, uh, since I did Fridays and Saturdays graphics at the same time, I put Friday's date on Saturday's graphics and Saturday's date on Friday's graphics. But today's discuss topic of discussion is defensive whiteness. Uh, I want to welcome you. Uh, this is Altitude Adjustment, the, pod, the twice a week podcast about people, politics and professions. Uh, Warren has had a... Um, a, a family celebration, which is why he's not here today. Uh, and so it's just Leonard and I, and, and I think we're going to have a really great discussion. Um, we got into some craziness. Uh, I can say craziness. We got into a little discussion uh, prior to coming on the air, which we always do. And, it, and it's and it's a good thing. I think we both gained something from that. So how you doing today, brother? Good, brother. How are you? I am hanging in there. It has been a rough week for me. I have kind of um, not been like on the top of my game. So I've been like sleeping a lot and, and just feeling kind of bad. Not, I think it's the weather change. I, you know, as I've gotten older, okay. I don't, I don't adapt as quickly to the weather change. At least that's, I hope that's what it is. Cause it doesn't, Usually, it, it usually doesn't last very long, like a week or two that I'm just kind of out of sorts uh, during the weather change when it's, you know, starts to go from, from warm to hot and not to cold. Yeah. yeah. So, but I'm here today and we're going to, we're going to have this discussion go. So, so you were saying that you did some, some research or you had some things. That you <coughs> yeah. Cause I've got a couple of things. That yeah. I went over to. So, yeah. Go ahead. Okay, I went over to this one site called medium.com and I found this article. It's called In Defense of White Privilege. Mm -hmm. And it uh, it had an interesting quote by Albert Einstein, who most people consider a scientific genius. Right. He said, the world will not be destroyed by those who do evil, but by those who do nothing, who do nothing. And I, I just thought about that. And I just said, you know, you're, you're right. I mean, we've got evil people. We've got people that have done illegal things, done everything. And we got people that just want to let it go and pretend it didn't happen. Like calling January the 6th in our country uh, like a tourist visit in D.C. as one of our representatives from Georgia so aptly named it. It, it. it was a tourist visit. And the previous guy called it a love fest and everybody was hugging and loving each other. Even though as a result of that, we've had, uh, we had 100 people die, even a few police officers die. So, uh, so I, I've actually heard that quote before. And that is, I think, a very apropos quote. I think it fits the topic, fits the discussion that we're having today 
absolutely perfectly. And the one of the mm -hmm. reasons that uh, one of the things that I was in my mind when I proposed or when we decided to, to do this topic was in our lifetime, you know, uh, we have had white friends. We have had people that yes. we've invited into our home that we've yeah. broken bread with, that we've yes. gone shopping with or whatever the case may be that, that we have invited into our lives. And when I look at the current state of our society, where 50% of 50 of the eligible voters voted for the mess that's Donald, that's the former president, that, that the, uh, Republican Party has put forward. I stop and think, while I was trying to build bridges with those relationships, what were those people in those relationships for? Does that make sense? It, it does. It can make you think that. But the way I approached it was, okay, I dealt with some people that had nothing to do with that. They weren't, they're not about, well, let's look at it and let's deny this part of our population of voting. Let's deny this part of our population of voting because we got a certain a population of people they just want to rule. They just want to govern. They really don't want to govern. They just want to rule, as was evident by the previous guy. He wanted to have the title, but he really did not want to do the work. So here's 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 the connection that I want you to see that it took me a while to see. So the statement that you just read from uh, Einstein was, correct? Correct. Was, it is not, the world won't be destroyed by the people that do things. It'll be destroyed by the people that do nothing. Right. You just vouched for the people that friends is in your life. What did they do? to help end the oppression. What did they physically do to end the oppression? Well, when I look at, and I'm just talking about in general, when you look at a lot of this stuff, and I know the Black Lives Matter got their own issues or whatever, but with a lot of the marches they had, the people they had out there marching, it wasn't just people of African descent. There were Caucasians out there. There, there were, were Hispanics some. out there. There were some. There were Chinese out there. There, were, there was a lot of different people out I there. I understand that. And go ahead. I, 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 and, you're, you're eventually, eventually going to get to the question. And what you had when it came to voting, 
much more of them voted than the people that want to divide and conquer. And so now what they're resorting to is telling lies. Now then, the people that I've met and that I've had association with over time, they did not participate in things they that our current Republican Party. You. you saying what they did? They didn't huh? participate. They didn't participate in front of you. The oppression could not have continued without a big enough support throughout society. Correct. I'll they could not. Correct. So if if all of the people who we think were supporting us were actually supporting us, would not things have changed sooner? Well, I think you got the question that I have with that, along with that, mm -hmm. is how many of us turn and help the oppressors to oppress the masses because they got a few little goodies of their own? And and, and eventually I was going to get to that. Was our, okay. was our friending part of acceptance of our own oppression so in other words while we were well we were thinking that we're building relationships to try to to get people to you know be more understanding of each other um were we complicit and not acting or asking for more active participation in the disillusion of our oppression Yes, there are black people who who are actively fighting mm -hmm. against the the the, the suppression of black, black people. They're fighting against mm -hmm. you know fighting against the elimination of the oppression. They're they're actually um, pushing more for the the oppression of blacks. That they're aiding that right. that kind of behavior. Yes, we we know that there are blacks that's doing that. But what I'm saying mm -hmm. is that that there were a lot of people who may have had uh, a black friend or two, or who may have had uh, relationships with blacks that did absolutely nothing to end the. I I agree with that. I agree with that. I mean, you got you got people like you said they they did nothing. And there was a little something that they could have did, and they did nothing. Uh, you got you you those people, along with people that are members of the group who, who were the biggest oppressors of the group. Uh, I think about I think about this Larry Elder's guy out of California that ran in the recent uh, governor recall race for a recall of Governor of California, who goes on and says, "Oh yeah, that the plantation owners who stole land from the Indians and ran plantations they need to be given back." the cost of having their land taken. I mean, 
you know, for a man of African descent to say something like that was just crazy in my book. But you know, that's what he that's what he chose. So that's an example that stands out for me. Uh, and they always like the Lieutenant Governor of Virginia is an African American woman who's strongly conservative and, and run with the Republicans for doing all they do. And then it's those, it's the people that hate and that's trying to completely oppress people not like themselves. They go, well, see, we gave y'all one. We gave you Obama as president. We see, see, we're not, we're not racist. We we gave y'all this, we gave y'all that. It's like, yeah, but are you willing to uh give me that I can walk down the street and not get stopped and frisked, as was happening in New York City while Rudy Giuliani was mayor? Are you willing to give me where I'm unarmed? and mind my own business, but the police are shooting me in the back. And I don't have a weapon, but they said their lives were in danger. Are you willing to give me where I can be in, in my own community in, in Wisconsin, uh, living up to my right to peacefully assemble, gathered to me by the Constitution, uh, rebelling against a government action, not rebelling, but demonstrating against the government action and having some Kyle Rittenhouse come from the state of Illinois with his rifle, shooting people and killing people. And then have a judge get to court and say, oh yeah, you can't call the shooting victims victims, but you can call them criminals. Okay. Okay. So, but never anywhere have I heard in American so jurisprudence that a, a person who was shot. Okay, share the discussion with minding me. Minding their own business, called a, called, uh, not allowed me, to be called a victim. Share the discussion with me, please. Okay. Okay, I appreciate it. So, the ones that you're talking about are all the high profiles. That's all the ones that you can see in the news, all the ones that are readily visible. And Part of the ones that I'm talking about are the ones that uh, that fit the quote that you mentioned, that have done nothing to stop the problem. Yes, we mm -hmm. know that there's bad actors that are out there actively being the problem. But I'm I'm trying to to get to the idea of there are people who are doing nothing because the status mm -hmm. quo benefits them. Mm -hmm. They, until you made a key point, the status quo benefits them. You want to change their actions, you got to change the status quo. So, so, but you want to change your act, you got to change the status quo. But, but, but we've friended white people. We what? We have friended white people. We have white friends. 
and we don't okay. ask of our friends. We don't, many of us don't pick our friends because they necessarily go out and march. So like you're at work, right? you have a, a white friend, you develop a friendship because you guys have some common interests. Uh, mm -hmm. And they come over to your house or you cook food or, you know, whatever. They come to your barbecue. Mm -hmm. But they never do anything to end the oppression that's happening to you. Mm -hmm. So in their office, and I'm not speaking about me specifically, but say... Um, they know you got passed over for a, a promotion mm -hmm. that you should have gotten, mm -hmm. but a white person got. And they come to you and say, oh, that was horrible, but they do nothing. Mm -hmm. They don't do anything. Mm -hmm. So have we, by friending, and, and, and trust me, I, I don't want to see us segregate as a society, distrustful mm -hmm. of each other. But I think it's important that if you consider me a worthwhile human being, that you do something when you see that I'm in pain, when you see that my community is being devastated by uh, income inequality, by racial profiling, by, um, you know, whatever. If you're not actively fighting for an equal society, then my friendship with you is enabling you to continue to oppress me. Would you disagree with that? I don't I don't disagree with that. I mean, are you what are you looking for, your friend? Is part of that common interest? Because you were talking about you, you have common interests. That's what mm -hmm. brings you to a group and ultimately leads to friends. Mm -hmm. Is part of that common interest uh economic or social justice or injustice? Well, let me let me say this. Should I be should I when I become a friend with someone, be concerned with their politics. With their what? Politics. Okay. So if they're not, if they're not a black friend, if I have a black friend mm -hmm. that doesn't support black issues or black causes, should I continue to be friends with that person? Is that, is that important? in how we interact with each other and why we interact with each other. It's in general, I'm going to say it's about those two people. And as you and I, you know, you and I discussed before what makes a relationship uh, is it, it's basically like my wife has good, a good def definition of this that I use, a relationship, is what two people agree to. Okay? Okay. Uh, you, 
when I go to choose my friends, it's not, for me personally, I'm not worried about, okay, what's your stance on black power, white power? I would like to know that this that the person that, that I choose as a friend that I have a friendship with has some type of stance against social injustice, economic injustice, racial injustice, because, you know, those are things that are important to me. Mm-hmm. And it would, it, it, you know, and, and uh, the people I tend to bond with mm-hmm. tend to have those as interest to them as well. But also, if I get in the pinch, can I trust you that if you're able to help me, you will help me? So I think, I think, uh, I think, I think relationships are, are difficult at best. They're complicated. Yes. Everything's complicated. Yes, they are. And, and, and there's no gray yeah. line. There's no uh, black and white lines. There's no hard lines. You know, so I've got a friend. Right. Let's, you know, just, you, you've got a friend. Let's say it's a black friend and they are opposed to Black Lives Matter. Right. But they are there when you need them. There's a there's a a problem in the family and they're the first ones to call. I'm you know, they they drop everything. Mm -hmm. They come help you. Yes. If you make, if you make social uh, um, awareness a hardline factor in a friendship, you lose this friend. Right. If you don't prioritize Black Lives Matter, then your oppression continues. So it's not okay. it's not easy. It's it's more complicated than than just this is this is acceptable that's acceptable this is not acceptable. So I get that. Yeah, I'm just saying building friendships with whites is complicated in the sense that it's quite possible that they're doing absolutely nothing to help your oppression. Okay. That they may be there as a friend as, as far as, you know, if, if you need something, they'll, they'll provide it. But the other issues that impact your life just as much, mm-hmm. AOL. A W O L A W O L A W O L A W O L. For each person, it depends on what they, what are they looking for in a friend? Mm-hmm. What do they want in a friend? Uh, I look at some things for me. Those are the things important, but are they that true? Fall on the sword issues, not necessarily. Mm-hmm. Uh, like I had one friend that I used to have at a job I had some years ago. We bonded over car repair issues. Mm-hmm. There was times I had to pick him up for work because his car would break down. Times he had to pick me up for work because my car would break down and 
after work, I say three out of five work days, three out of six work days a week, we would go get us a beer, go get us a couple of beers. This is how we bonded. This is how we became friends. So it's it's different things for different folks. I mean, we bonded out of, it could be a shared struggle. It could be a shared celebra- celebration. But like you say, it, Maybe both of y'all got promoted at work. You know, he got promoted to, he or she got promoted to one department and you got promoted in the other. So there's a lot of things that bring people together and there's a lot of things that can uh, take them apart too. So, so, so let me ask a question. Okay. If you, if you knew that a friend of yours watched a woman get raped, and did absolutely nothing. Mm-hmm. Would that change your idea of that person? More than likely, yes. So because why? violence against women, so why? violence against women is something I'm totally opposed to. So why is it that if you're if you have a white friend and they do nothing about white supremacy and white oppression? Why does not that does does that not impact your idea of that person? Again, it's about it's about the individuals. It's so about, why is it about the like individuals. If I, why is it about the individuals in the the white supremacy and not about the individual in the violence against women? It's in all of it. It's about in all of it. It's about the individuals. If I had a person that think white supremacy is good, he says the KKK should go out. He thinks it's good. I said did nothing. See what you do is, and and I understand what happens, and and what and what I'm, the reason I'm trying to, okay. I it's a it's an uncomfortable conversation. The okay. conversation that we're having is an uncomfortable conversation. Yes, it is. Because it we be, have yeah. friends, because we have friends that we think are our friend. And now we have to look at them in a different light. And eventually that's going to happen as we move to a less oppressive situation. Is that Blacks and whites are going to, black people are going to look and say, we did, we had this fight for our economic freedom, for our social freedom, for the lives of our children, for the lives of our grandchildren. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And you were my friend. Where were you during this fight? Right. So we're going to have to have that conversation. We're going to have to, it is going to happen. It is going to happen. That we're going to look and say, um, so, uh, uh, Fred, Fred says, what would you expect a person to do about circumstances they cannot control? Um, and so I'm going to put that into the <laughs> scope of the conversation that we're having. So 
if so I as a man I support women's issues mm -hmm. I support women's issues because I think women have been getting the short end of the stick and I think well, um, there are a myriad of reasons. I'm just going to say I support women's issues. If women, mm -hmm. if women got their, yeah, receive their, um, so we've got a lot of noise in the background. Yeah, that was my wife's phone ringing. I'm sorry. Oh, okay, that's all right. So, uh, so. If women reach the pinnacle or reach the uh, their acceptance in society, wouldn't they have a a right and a responsibility to turn and look at me and say, "Where the hell were you? You saw us suffering. You saw us struggling. What the hell did you do?" Now, Fred says, I can't do anything about, you know, what a circumstance that's out of my control. It's out of my control to, to give women an equal place in society. But I'm sure as hell in there punching and swinging with them. I'm not asking for credit. I just know that when they're standing in the place that they want to be at and they look back and say, where the hell were you? I can point to it. I can point to what I did. Now, right. whether it was effective, whether it was the right thing to do, all I can say is I was there swinging with you. And all I'm saying right. is, all I'm saying is, one day we're going to, hopefully, we're going to be soon, we're going to be standing in a place where we want to be standing. And we can ask, where the hell were you? Mm-hmm. The thing is, we may not, like Fred, we may not control a million-dollar corporation that's, that can hire women to run the company. We may not be a local political boss that could put women in power, politically powerful positions, but do I go to a voting booth, for example, and when it's between a woman candidate and a male candidate, okay, who aligns with me politically more? And does this man have a history that I know about of mistreating women, women not getting a fair shot? Do I give him my vote or do I not? That's something that you can do, for example. I got two businesses here. I got a woman business and a male business. And they both treat they both give good service. They both treat me the same. Their prices are comparable. You know, does this woman do a lot more stuff? Does she do more stuff in the community than the man does? Or this man takes the money that he makes out of my community and go out to West County somewhere. And this woman is right here in the city or in the immediate county helping other people, you know, try to try to get their stuff done. I mean, there are decisions that we make that that can make that can make help. Now, ultimately, it's going to depend on political and economic power. 
to make the kind of changes that we're talking about making, to get the kind of equality that we're talking about having among different groups. So, uh, so there were go ahead. people who, there were white people who, who were part of the civil rights struggle. It wasn't mm -hmm. all black people. It wasn't right. all Asians. It wasn't all Latinx. Right. Um, and so, uh, but the question is going to be, where were you? There mm -hmm. are, we, we have, I have to ask myself and, and, and I didn't, I didn't, um, I re-examined my life mm -hmm. when we decided to do this topic. I started re-examining and there were things that I should have seen that I didn't. And so I'm asking myself, I have always strived to build a society that I believed in, which means I didn't pick a person because of their color. I didn't deny right. a person friendship because of their color. I didn't treat them unfairly because of their color or even some of the mistakes that they made. Mm -hmm. But I still have to ask myself, if I don't expect things out of people around me, can I create a better society? Is it just enough to want it inside myself that I don't expect it out of others. Well, what I always look at with the example you just gave for people that have a lot of expectations out of people, what do you give? I'm, I'm not sure what, how that, you know, I'm not sure how that, well, I don't, I have no idea how that connects. I don't, I really don't. Okay, I mean, you don't, you know, if you don't, but see, you say, with the people around me, how can I create a better world if I just expect? Part of, part of, part of that also has to be the other side of the coin has to be, what do I give? I expect friendship. Do I give friendship? It's not just friendship. I expect. It's, well, it's not okay. just friendship. That I, I would just, I mentioned friendship. As an example, okay. Do I expect loyalty? Do I expect loyalty out of folks around me? Okay. Do okay. I give I, loyalty? I, here, here's here's what I think. I feel uncomfortable with. Is that okay? Is that I don't think, I don't think that that where you're at in the conversation was was where I was trying to go. Okay. So from an individual level, there are different expectations of an individual. Okay. On a societal level, because mm -hmm. my, my friendship with any person, my connection with any person has two parts. Mm -hmm. It has the part between us and them and the part between the two of us and the world around us. Mm -hmm. If I am friends with a rapist. With who? A rapist. Okay. If I am friends with a rapist and I know that they're a rapist, 
and I don't set any expectations for them, am I enabling that rapist to be a rapist? Do you understand what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. So, mm -hmm. so where you're, you're talking about the micro relationship, I'm talking about the macro relationship. Okay. All right. The macro relationship is how does our friendship impact the world around us? Mm -hmm. And I understand the micro aspect of it. My expectations of you as an individual is one thing. But my expectations of us as a group is a completely, well, I ain't gonna say completely, but is a different thing. Fair enough? Mm -hmm. Okay. Okay. So that that's why I just think I I think I was talking about on the macro level. All right. Versus the micro level. And and I I can see that, but me I'm more of a macro thinker. Macro uh, or micro. A micro thinker. Okay. In other words, I look at the individual parts, and when I put them all together. What how they how they intermingle with each other determines where I go. Okay. I'm more of a what you would call a means, justify the ends person, mm -hmm. more so than a means, more so than the ends, justify the means type of person. Okay. Uh yeah, if you keep secrets and you hold confidences of a criminal, any type of criminal. Yeah, you're enabling them because you're not telling the correct authorities that could put an end to his or her criminal activity. Mm -hmm. Now, the reason why you do that could be many-fold, mm -hmm. that you are a criminal yourself, or you know that if they believe you would tell on them, they snuff your life out or snuff a family member or whatever. So there could be there could be quite a few different reasons for that, mm -hmm. but you do it. Mm -hmm. uh, getting back to our original discussion, people that are in a position to do something choose not to because I believe one thing you said that was key is the status quo. As long as they can benefit from it, they're going to keep it. They're not. We're not built as people the average person to just to do things for self-sacrifice that will sacrifice benefits for ourselves. We won't do that. Self-sacrifice, right. Mm -hmm. So therefore, and that, you know, and that, that's just the way we're put together. Mm -hmm. And that's the way most of us are, the self, the self-preservation end of it. Mm -hmm. Okay. Mm -hmm. uh, so, but there are ways to do things like how many times, especially when you're talking about in the criminal arena, that someone gave the police an anonymous tip that the police were able to follow and crack a case. Well, okay, so I think I think we're going down a, a road that's kind of on the far side of um, okay. about about where we are about defensive whiteness, uh, okay. and and I I, I want to encourage some free thinking. I just don't want to get too far off. Um, so the example. Okay. The example of 
the the um, friend who is a rapist was meant to highlight the complexity of friendships and how setting our expectations is important. So uh-huh. if I have a white friend who is complicit in white racism or white supremacy or just whiteness, period. Because white oppression, let's let's talk about oppression. Just you've got whites, you know, holding all the management positions in a company. Whites holding all the management positions. If your if your white friend does not advocate for integration, are they not complicit in your oppression? Did you hear me or? Well, I'm 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 considering that whole thing. Okay, so you want me to keep talking? And if they don't, so if they don't, so if they don't push, if they don't push for inclusion, it can be assumed that again that they're all right with the status quo because there's a benefit to them. Or even if that's, it, or or, and like you say, there's many reasons why people do things. Maybe they don't want to put themselves on the line for you that way. Correct. Maybe they maybe it's a chance. They see it as your fight. Maybe they see it as your fight. If you want that yeah, management position, you fight. It's a chance that if you put yourself on the line for somebody, you put yourself in the line of fire too. Mm-hmm. 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 You do that. But but here's and, the thing. Go ahead. No, go ahead. Go ahead and say what you want to say. You know, so having a white friend wasn't always acceptable. No, it wasn't. It wasn't always acceptable. So that when you brought home a white friend, you had to justify that. Because they were. Or if a white friend brought you to their house, they had to justify it. And so I'm going to ask you. How many of your white friends invited you to their house? I've been to a few. I've been to a few mm. Caucasians' houses before. Okay. <laughs> I, I, as I've again, I've examined my relationships. I've examined my past, and I have a lot of questions because, um, because when I look at the number of times that I've invited people to my house. And the time number of mm-hmm. times I've got invited to someone else's house, there is a big discrepancy. Yes. Well, there would be the discrepancy would be because over my lifetime, the people that I've called friends have been overwhelmingly African American. Mm-hmm. I'm not, well, so that, that's what that I'm, that's okay. what that discrepancy would be. <laughs> I'm not. I'm not factoring in my black friends. I'm only factoring in my my non-black friends. Okay. Okay. You're right. If I well, factor in my black me, friends, that would be different. But, but for me, friends, friends would mean that someone we can go to each other's houses. Well, 
some we friendships are that way. Some friendships family. are. Right. Some friendships are. Uh, some friendships do that. Some friendships don't. Like I, I said, for me, that's what a that's what a friend that's what a friend means. Okay. And, and again, that that's just that, that's just my thing. But you know, when now that you're talking about, well, some some friendships do it, some don't. I was thinking about another article on the Huffington Post that I read. It was it was called "In Defense of White Privilege," mm-hmm. and it was written by uh, this author named Christina Ling. And she said, you know, she was just saying, oh, yeah, she would love to have the benefits of white privilege. And she listed things such as uh, you can walk down the street and not be suspected of being a drug dealer or a prostitute or holding a gun. Uh, You're not automatically assumed that you're involved in criminal activity. You can go to Starbucks and get coffee without having the police called on you. Uh, You don't get accused and taken in for questioning by police when you're just minding your own business. So she was she was she was she brought up in her article of things like that. Mm-hmm. And she said, yeah, I would love, you know, I would love to have that privilege that I'm automatically considered innocent no matter what I do. And so and so it I, I could listen to myself and say well, he's he's really hard on white people. He's, you know, he's, and that's not the case. I, I'm not trying to be right. hard on white people. What I am trying to say is, we live in this society together. And while I see my reaching out or my my friendships with you as an attempt to build a better community. I would like to see that your friendship with me is more than just because it's convenient. That, that you, I don't, I don't get to have white friends and then not fight for black equality. I don't get that luxury. I don't get the luxury of like you just pointed out walking down the street and not being suspected of a drug dealer, being a drug dealer, or suspected of being uh, a gang person, a gang member, or being violent. I don't get that luxury. So the people that have that luxury, if they do nothing, if they look and see that that there are people who are suspected of gang violence that are not gang violent, that are not part of gangs. If they see that there's people in their community that don't get a fair shake in job opportunities, that don't get a fair shake in political elections, that don't get a fair shake in X and you know, fill in the blank. Don't I have a responsibility to fight for those that are marginalized? Don't I have a responsibility, not just a right? Don't I have a responsibility? And if I do nothing with that responsibility, if I don't exercise it, 
Am I not complicit in the problem? If you don't, you can, you are complicit in the problem. But, you know, not everybody who looks at that say that's a responsibility. You mentioned, uh, you mentioned earlier in the conversation where people go, oh, that's his problem. That's not mine. That's his. And at that moment, you may be right. But if you keep letting people get marginalized and you never fight for marginalized people, one day you can be marginalized. And then you might be the marginalized. Let me share and this clip with you. There's a, there's a couple of, in this, for those people that can't read the scroller, there's a couple of articles from NPR that I thought just so fit this discussion were absolutely um, uh, pertinent to the discussion. But one of them contained this clip, and I'm going to include in the show notes links to these articles on NPR. Um, and you can go to NPR today, and you might be able to, to see them. They were on the front page. Um, but I'm, let me play this clip real quick. A team at NPR has been examining documents connections between a far-right group and law enforcement. The group is called the Oath Keepers. Its closeness to law enforcement is no secret. Many members claim to be current and former U.S. troops or cops, and they vow to enforce their own interpretation of the U.S. Constitution. We're going to start with... So, that clip caught my attention. I would encourage you to go listen. It's a seven minute clip, a little, about, a little over seven minutes. I think it's well worth your understanding that, you know, we have law enforcement officials who are actively skirting the constitution and implementing their own value system. And then the idea that they're in a position of authority that they may be exercising their authority disproportionately. And if you are yelling blue lives matter, the question then becomes, are you complicit in the, the wrongdoing that happens here? And so I'm just trying to get us moving in the conversation of understanding that if you're not doing something, you're doing something wrong. I have, I don't have a choice but to participate for my own safety. But that doesn't negate someone else's responsibility to participate, even though they may not be at the whims of, or at the, um, risk of something happening by, by being complacent. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, just, well, you know, we got a whole lot of uh, things going on. Just like when you were just talking about people saying Blue Lives Matter, you and you being complicit. Yeah, there's a lot of great police officers, mm -hmm. for example. Mm -hmm. And when you call 911 and you need help, you need help. 
and and you and you and you get that. So so you're 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 looking at yeah, I want that, and you just uh, but one of the things when you mention police is going on now is this qualified immunity stuff. Mm-hmm. And what we've done, we made up a doctrine in states to help control populations, certain populations. We give these police unqualified immunity mm-hmm. where, or is it quality, it's called qualified immunity, mm-hmm. where they can go in and basically break the law in enforcement, uh, roll over people's constitutional rights, and they don't have to be held responsible for it. So that's why with the George Floyd incident, the George Floyd trial that recently happened this summer, it was a big, it was a big uh, celebration that we finally had a police officer found guilty of murder and going to jail. And you know, and that just reminded me of a couple of clips that I got off that medium.com article. It was uh, where they say, we have those that are more focused on the outrage than the outrageous. Sure, the police were wrong, but the riots and the violence, it's okay. Uh, I feel bad he was killed, but he had a criminal record. And I mean, in this country, you getting caught with a busted tail light ends up a death sentence. A woman in Texas who was smoking a cigarette in her car was not illegal, but because some officer decided she needed to put it out, she ends up in a jail cell hung, for example. So, so I, you I, know, to, to we just, can stop all of this. So then, then the thing is, is you know, what what are people when the when there becomes a reckoning? Am I and um. And I say, when that becomes a reckoning, when we go back and do um, and look at how we got where we are, and and maybe that happens in my lifetime, maybe it doesn't happen in my lifetime, maybe it never happens, I don't know. But but I want to um, bring up the idea that, you know, so I've gone through and I've looked at my life and, and I have questions and and it it ask, makes me ask, where were you? What did you do? How did you? Uh, and and I mean that for everyone, and not just not just my white friends. I say that the title of the the, the podcast is "Defense of Whiteness." Um, but in the in in the description, I ask, you know, what is the cognitive dissonance of my behavior? So for years, I always looked at building friendships with people that were not in the black community. I thought that that was important. And now I'm asking myself, was I complicit? Was I one of those black people that helped um, the, the oppression of blacks go on further? I, I, I don't know. I I don't think that not having white friends was the answer to the situation. But having white friends, I'm questioning, was that the, the 
answer to the situation. It, 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 for me, it is a part of the question. I, I could look at it and say, well, you know, I, I, my friends, the white friends that I had were good white people because they were friends with me. And then the question becomes, well, what is a good white person? Is a good white person somebody that looks at the social economic situation, sees that there's desperate inequities and does nothing? Is that what a good white person is? I can't answer that. But what I can say is it's something that needs to be addressed. Well, it's about, like you said, you couldn't totally shut yourself off. I never had friends other than what's in my neighborhood around here and what's in this two square block area with it. We got to grow. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And, and part of society and a reality for black folks is we always had to be able to grow past just our limited area. We've always had to fit in to other cultures, other societies or whatever, just, just to make a living. Sometimes just to keep just to a survive. roof on our family's head, keep food on the table. And we've, so we've always had to be flexible. Mm -hmm. We had to, we had to be able to make it in Caucasian society as well as our society. Mm -hmm and the three, four, five, six other different societies around us. Mm -hmm. We've always had to be able to, to navigate through. Mm -hmm. And, you know, and I know that's something when we were younger, that's what our mother taught us. You had to be flexible. You had to be able to learn on the fly. And you had to be, you know, you just had to adjust. And you had to pick it up and keep it going. And... You know, and and that's just that's just the real the realization of everything we uh, we have to do. Right, and and so that's the question for me is, if we had to be flexible, <clears throat> if we had to be flexible, why would we not be concerned with other people's flexibility? Because if I'm being flexible to live with you and you make no attempts to be flexible to live with me, what does that say about you and me? That just says that just says that we were around people that didn't have to be flexible. They didn't because when you if you look at it in America, our society was built by Caucasians or Caucasians for the benefit of Caucasians and those others who learned the system. It was built. Learn how everybody. to survive, and it got some benefit out of that system. It was built by everybody and co-opted by white people for white people. Okay. I know. Okay. I, I, I understand what you're saying. I'm, and I'm not disagreeing with you. I'm just fine tuning to get a little bit of better. Okay, it was co-opted by because because and and because we we were there we plowed the fields we yeah. bought 
uh, built the railroads. We built railroads. We built highways. We were a part of that. We had land taken from us. But it was co-opted. All of our our input was co-opted by white people for white people. And what made me think of that was the situation that happened in South Carolina a few years ago where the little 20-year-old racist kid went into a black church, so he trespassed on someone else's property and decided to kill eight people. You know, and I, I, I can't forget that. Then when the police came upon him, it showed the videotape of all the police putting their guns in their holster. And then while they taking him to jail, they stopped on the way to jail, getting him Burger King to eat and all this stuff. And he just, and he just upset because a system that was co-opted for his success, he wasn't able to make it succeed. So he had to go, go kill some people he had to go kill some people to show his distress and his anger. All righty. So with, that's it for today. I really, I thought it was a good discussion and I appreciate you being with me. We will be back tomorrow. You want to say goodbye? Goodbye. <laughs> that concludes this episode of Altitude Adjustment. And thank you for listening. This podcast is streamed live on YouTube and twitch.tv and is designed for listener interaction. Visit the website, thelionsdenstl.wixsite.com forward slash home to join the discussion. The audio version of Altitude Adjustment is available where you get your podcasts, including Stitcher.com, the iTunes Store, and the Google Play Music Store, to name a few. Remember that the internet is powered by your likes, shares, and comments. So please like, share, and comment on this and other episodes of Altitude Adjustment because it matters. And as always, look out for the other guy, because they may not be looking out for you.